Hello, everybody. Hi. 11th episode. It has been a year. It's been 12 months. I've taken a step back. You know what? I've been busy. I'm going to be honest. It's not like I didn't try. I have emailed so many people, called so many people. Look, they weren't available. That's a situation. Um, Look, I've been busy. I'm not going to say that I purposely took a break. Every month I'd be like, oh, I'm going to publish a new episode. And then I didn't. But this, but this month and next month, I'm not going to announce next month's guest yet, but hope it doesn't get cancelled. I actually have things to show you guys. Um, look, I've changed a lot. It's I was 14 the last time I did this, and I was in lockdown, and now I'm still in lockdown. Well, new lockdown, but still. I'm vibing. I really hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is with Warren Mundine. He is very interesting. He used to be president of the Labour Party, and now he's in the Liberal Party. A bit of a change up. And he's an Aboriginal man, and he's very interesting. We had a great discussion. Um, I had a good time. I had a good time. Um, I just want to put a trigger warning up for Black Deaths in Custody and sexual mentionings of sexual assault in parliament. I just want to make that clear before we start. I hope you'll have a good day and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. And yeah, look, it's been a year. We're back. Enjoy the show. Also, look, sorry. I know the audio isn't perfect on this episode. You're going to have to listen close. You're going to have to turn your phone or whatever up. I'm sorry. It was on Zoom. This isn't my fault. I tried to record the audio on Zoom. And my computer was like, oh, sorry, you don't have enough storage for that. So's y'all. Have a good time. Okay. Welcome. Um, Mr. Mundine Warren, how do you want me to refer to you? I just... Perfect. Warren, lovely to have you on the podcast. You were actually our first guest in a year. I took a bit of time off, so it's lovely that you're the first new episode. People are going to be very excited. Um, thanks. Um, let's just get straight into it. Um, can you explain to me your road to politics? Like, how have you ended up where you are today? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, it was more, it wasn't so much about getting into politics, it was more about fixing things. I look, from a very early age, my father and, and mother, they were, they, uh, they were very much involved in, in the, the stories of the day, the politics of the day. So I'm one of 11 kids, I'm number nine. So when it used to happen, my mum and dad would clean the table down after dinner, and then they have a discussion with my older siblings in regard to what was happening in the day, what was the politics of the day. So I sort of grew up surrounded by politics and um, what was happening and, and my older sisters and older brothers were involved in the 67 uh, referendum and and, uh, and also in the uh, uh, the Aboriginal Affairs Foundation in Sydney and, and a number of other things. So they're, they're very heavily involved in politics so I got it from that and then as I grew up I looked at things and I thought well you know I, you know, that, that I could get a job than that I could fix a few things and and sort of went from there. Wow, yeah. And what led to your decision to leave the Labour Party in, I believe, 2007? 2007? To, to leave it or leave it? Leave it. Oh, that was 2012. 
Oh, that was a very simple process for me. I was uh, put my hand up in regard to the vacant Senate seat that was uh, Mark and Bibb had left uh, when he left the Senate, and um, and I had a meeting with the hierarchy of the, uh, the Labor Party, and I said, look, if, if you've got someone else in mind in regard to the replacement, then that's fine. I might put my hand up, but if you haven't, then, uh, you know, yeah, sure, uh, I'd like to do that. And I said, no, no, we haven't thought of anyone. But in actual fact, they had, that, that was Bob Carr. So when Bob Carr, they said they gave it to Bob Carr. It wasn't so much that I was disappointed they gave it to Bob Carr. I was very disappointed that they actually lied to me. And mm. so I said, well, you know, and the Labor Party had shifted so far from to the left that it wasn't funny. And we've just seen that recently in regard to the, the, the other by-elections where, uh, you know, people like Giles Fitzgibbons, who's a, is a, uh, a right-winger of the Australian Labor Party, which I was, I was a right-winger as well, uh, you, know, they're, you know, they're slowly being forced out of the party because of their politics in regard to that the Labor Party has shifted from the, uh, the workers, you know, the blue-collar workers, and, that, and that's why there's great opportunities in the Liberal Party and the National Party to pick up seats uh, because of that shift to the right, uh, to the left, I mean, by the Labor Party. And so that's so when my, uh, you know, renewal come up, you know, they send you an email saying, well, uh, your renewal's up, would you, uh, you know, sign here and join the party again? And, and I said to the wife, uh, should I join? And Elizabeth said back to me, so how do you feel? And I said, well, I don't think this is the party for me anymore, so I just didn't renew my membership. Mm. And what drew you to the Liberal Party? What drew me to the Liberal Party is quite... Uh, look, I, that, that started really in about 2004. Oh, wow. uh, I had a, a really interesting experience when, just prior to the 2004 election, uh, the, uh, well, uh, uh, the Prime Minister's office, you know, John Howard was the Prime Minister at the time, uh, they wrote me and said, we're setting up this National Indigenous council and we'd like you to be on it mm. and i said well, there's a bit of a problem because i'm vice president at that stage i was vice president of the labor party and i soon to be president within the next two years and i said that's a bit of a problem and they said no no this is a bipartisan thing you know we we hear what you say and how you talk about indigenous issues but we also see them that, that can be used and expanded in the wider australia community because i was very strong in regard to, uh, you know, the regional and uh, rural and remote Australia about jobs and, and building businesses and stuff like that. And I like what I was saying. And so I said, look, let's talk after the election. Yeah. Uh, and after the election, of course, we know the Howard government on uh, one of those rare occasions, but also the Senate in the House of Representatives. So, you know, I, I forgot all about it. And anyway, a couple of months after the election, they met me again and said, well, would you like to uh, uh, be on this council? And I said, well, and I thought, I said, give me 24 hours and I'll think about it. I thought about it and I thought, well, it is a bipartisan thing. So let's, so I spoke to the, the executive of the Labor Party, the senior ministers, and they said, no, for Warren, it's bipartisan. Sit on it. And, and I said, okay. So I rang them back and said, look, I'll do the job. And then I, you know, a meeting with uh, John Howard and meeting with uh, there's different ministers and that, 
I began this journey um, because uh, after that election, I remember because I, you know, I work, when I started my working life, I was 16 working in the factories of Silverwater here in Sydney, which is a very heavy industrial area. And I was a, a fitter and turner by background. And so, uh, so I have a lot of mates out in the Western suburbs of Sydney, a lot of friends, and, and they're lifelong, lifelong friends, in fact. And I went, we went to a barbecue after that federal election, and there's about 20 of us at, at that barbecue at Kenrock in the far western suburbs of Sydney. And, uh, the, uh, and I suddenly realised, and these are people who come from uh, Auburn, where I was working, Auburn and Silverwater, and they've been in their family, in their DNA, they've been Labor supporters since 1892. And so it's, it's unheard of that anyone in their families would actually vote for the coalition. And anyway, I, f I suddenly realised that that part, you know, I was the only one who voted Labor. And then I, and I asked the question, why? And I said, because you people are like me, you come out of the factories, you, you, know, you, uh, you know, tradies and drivers and, and, and and skilled labourers and that. So, so why, you know, are you fighting for them? I know Dave just said it was quite clear then, you know, John Howard, what he was achieving in the economy, him and Costello, we had jobs, we, we, we were aspirational, so we wanted to buy a house that was possible under the, under the coalition government. And, uh, and look, even though I was, a, it, it wasn't too hard for me then in, in the conversations I had with uh, John Howard and these ministers wasn't too hard for me to think about the Liberal Party because uh, I was in the right wing of the, the Labor Party. I'm a conservative by nature. You know, I was brought up a, a Christian and a, and a Catholic. I went to Catholic schools and that. So, uh, and I was always very strong. I was sort of like a hawk-eating Labor person, which was about you know, uh, reforming the economy, uh, making us competitive on a global uh, stage economically, and, uh, and and focusing on jobs and, uh, and and the businesses. How do we create businesses and move forward? So it wasn't so much of a leap for me to move from uh, there to the Liberal Party. Mm. And do you feel like your cultural upbringing has influenced your politics? Oh, there's no doubt about that. My, my family uh, were very much working class people. My father was a greater operator. He used to work on roads. Uh, you know, he came back in the Second World War. He's a greater operator for the Department of Money Road, which is now in New South Wales, known as the Roads and Maritime Services. Uh, he, he worked on roads and bridges and built those things. And, and in the family, it was a very strong working class family in that people worked, uh, you know, you, you got educated and then you went straight to work. So you were either being educated or work uh, or working. My grandparents were the same. They were very hard workers. And so in our family, it was very much about workers. And, uh, and of course, the Labor Party, the, the old Labor Party, the whole beating Labor Party were about the workers. Mm. Uh, that's all changed within the Labor Party now in that, uh, you know, they've forgotten about those workers, they've forgotten about their own base in regard to people who just just wanted the job, they wanted a good education, they wanted a good health system, they, they wanted uh, businesses to be profitable and make money and be commercial and be competitive within Australia on a global stage as well. So that was, I, I had those jobs and then they were able to 
us and feed their family and, and, and make sure they had a good education. So you had this generations of people who were working and aspirational and trying to get better. So their children, like with my family, I was, you know, we're the first people of our family to go to university, you know. And so, and there's a lot of families like that and, and being an aspirational class and, and wanting to, um, you know, uh, be very, very much about the economy. Hmm. And do you feel like your Aboriginal identity has influenced your politics and how you've kind of risen up, if that makes sense? Yes, it, it has, because I was born in 1956. Uh, that, that 67 referendum was in 1967, of course. And then, of course, the Aboriginal laws, you know, the Welfare, Aboriginal Welfare Act, the Aboriginal Protection Act and that, they were all abolished in 1969. So up until 1969, we had a very much a segregated society. Mm. Uh, our family was very much about uh, being an aspirational family and not becoming victims, and not be, uh, be warriors in a sense of, of, of looking after our families and working. So it was a very working focus. Like my parents, they, they you know, you could have been, this, you might know this because you're a young man, the Midnight Men, the Midnight Men in those days, in the old days, the 50s and 60s and early 70s, uh, they were the blokes that come around and collect, uh, collected only hands, because people had outside days in those days, and collected it, took it away. So it wasn't a very pretty job collecting in one's uh, urine and boots. Uh, but that, or you could be a doctor and a lawyer, or you could be a truck driver or a train driver, or you could be a airline pilot or, or a steward or a stewardess, uh, flight attendants, they call them. But you were a worker, and that's how they looked at things. That they saw things. And my father used to say that when you asked, uh, "What about Sean?" and that he'd say, "Well, he's either a worker or he's not a worker." And what they meant was that he actually went out. He was a worker who went out and fed his family uh, and, and got a, house, a roof over their head and made sure that they were educated and were going to be able to move into work themselves. And if you weren't a worker, you were a bludger, you weren't feeding your family, you weren't looking after your kids and, and that. And that's, that influence on me was very, very strong. And, and, and of course, it was a very cultural thing because in Aboriginal society and our kinship structures, and that family is central. You know, you know, family is the central thing to our being. And mm. so uh, so that was very natural for us. Yeah. Definitely. And do you believe there is still more that the Australian government needs to do in terms of reparations and reconciliation to the Aboriginal communities? Well, I think, and this is where I noticed it and also... Uh, Now the University of South Australia, which 
Capitalism is the enemy of Indigenous people. You think that's the best route to reconciliation? Oh, it's obvious. We live in a capitalist society, and, the, and, and you look at it, and our structures and that, that we operate within. Uh, that this is why uh, you know, you know, we, we live in such a blessed country uh, because you look at um, you know, you look at native title, native title. Everyone thinks is an Aboriginal. Law, but it's not. It's English common law, and so it was English common law that came to Australia that made it possible for us to be able to argue the case about uh, native title and getting land back that we could use for our own benefits uh, to build economies and, and to protect our culture. Uh, you look at you look at where does the money come from uh, that helps uh, uh, Indigenous education. Where does the money come from that looks at Indigenous health? Where does the money come that's, that's looking at uh, getting people trained and into, into jobs? They're all coming because we live in a society where uh, there is uh, businesses who are uh, commercial and thriving who are profitable, who pay taxes, taxes, they employ people who pay taxes, and that's where the money comes from. Uh, to do these things to help in, uh, Indigenous people. So if we didn't have that system, uh, then uh, then we'd be buggered. Hmm. And you've previously tweeted support of the conservative take on Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. As an Indigenous person yourself, can you kind of explain your philosophy behind this? Well, uh, I was, we, we were very strong, you know, we used to watch growing up see what was happening in the United States in the 50s and 60s with the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. And and we and, and, and also we were Christians, you know, we were Aboriginal, culturally Aboriginal Christians as well. And, and we saw that uh, it didn't matter what colour you are, uh, we saw that it didn't matter what faithful beliefs you had. Uh, we are all, uh, and of course our Christian faith said this, we are all God's children. And so, uh, so for us, it, it, you know, it was like Martin Luther King when he said, you know, I want my children to be judged uh, by, by their character, not by the colour of their skin. And, and that's how my parents judge people, you know, work, worker, not a worker. Uh, uh, and so, and that's how we were brought up very strong 
in regard to that. And so when it comes to Black Lives Matter, now we saw what's happening in the United States and there's no doubt about the George, George Floyd incident. Uh, that, but the transfer of that to Australia, talking about black deaths in custody, I was um, on the Juvenile Crime uh, Prevention Committee for four years and I was, and I was also uh, headed the panel uh, uh, looking at reoffending in South Australia in the adult prison system uh, in 2016 and also suffered in 2017 on the, uh, the sexual abuse of Aboriginal children panel, I co-chaired that. And we looked look at all that statistics and all that stuff and I, and I found that, you know, you know there, there, there are certain things which are, are false, what people were saying. Now, there are work cases that were very serious, you know, you had to look at the John Pat death in Western Australia in Auburn, that was, he was beaten to death by the police, that was, that was quite clear. You look at Mr. Boomerji who died on Palm Island, it was quite clear that he was beaten to death. And you look at Mr. Ward's situation in Western Australia again, uh, when he was uh, was travelling across you know, in a, a criminal services van that was taken to prison and uh, they didn't uh, observe him for four hours and they're travelling across the, the bill road and of course uh, the air conditioning in the vehicle broke out and he was cooked alive. So these these were dreadful, horrific things. But when we look at the statistics, uh, there was uh, most uh, of these deaths were not caused because of police brutality or correctional services brutality. A lot of them were just because they, were, they had committed a crime and were in jail. And so, for instance, they were, and we found that 50, something like 56% of Aboriginals in the South Australian situation were in jail because of very violent crimes. And they were against Aboriginal people. And so this idea that they, they were being killed by police and corrective services was, was not true. Uh, they died of natural causes in prisons, you know, uh, old age, heart attacks and so on, and also deaths. They were killed by other prisons within the systems, including our official uh, prisoners. And, uh, and then you look for all that and it says only a handful of people who are actually uh, who died in custody. Other ones who died, and they have a broad spectrum, uh, 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 you know, Definition of what custody is. So, for instance, if if the police see me breaking into a, into a shop and they see out to me, I run away. And when I'm running away, I, I run in front of a car and get killed, or I jump in a creek and swim away and I drown. That's considered a death in custody. And so, so that's not the police fault. That's not the corrective services fault. That's just uh, people's behaviour. And, and as I said at the beginning, there are cases where people. Uh, there's serious cases that need to be investigated and, uh, and, and also charged. And in each of those cases I just mentioned, people were charged and, uh, and, and went to court. Mm, so I... we don't have to of what's happening in the Black Lives Matter thing. Mm, I've really never thought of it through that perspective. Um, moving on, you've supported the idea of changing the date of Australia Day. However, Scott Morrison and kind of the Liberal Party in general has no plans to change the date. How do you reconcile this with your party politics and your leader? Oh, well, look, it's, it's, it's pretty simple to me. Look, I, I, you know, I, I sit there. The, the big problem we have when we want to move the date is where do you move it? And, and, and of course, in, in other countries, like you see Independence Day in the United 
Christ Day, if that's the equivalent of Australia Day, it's because that's when they declared independence from the British Empire and they fought, fought a revolutionary war. Uh, we had a very peaceful transition from the British Empire in 1901 to, uh, to the uh, Commonwealth of Australia. And so, so it's, it's very difficult. So my only solution to that, and I know a lot of people don't like it because Australia was declared uh, in the Commonwealth was Australia on the 1st of January 1901. And we all know the 1st of January is New Year's Day. And so, so, uh, so it's very difficult to, to combine the celebrations of New Year's with the celebrations of Australia's birth. So look, uh, I don't, you know, so I, I don't have an answer to what date it will be or could be. But, you know, I think we need a, a, a celebration about Australia needs to bring us all together uh, and, uh, and to celebrate together. Now, I know um, the uh, Australian Day will always be an important day because from the Aboriginal side, it is an invasion day and, and it was when Europeans came to Australia and, uh, and on the European side, there were people who come to Australia as convicts, dragged out here as convicts, they didn't come as volunteers. And there was even the, the, the Marines and that who come out here, they didn't come as volunteers here, they were ordered to be. There are descendants of, that, of those people, so they'll always celebrate that as when their ancestors come here. And on the Aboriginal side, we've always celebrated, not celebrated, I should say, we always talk about it as survival. I like the, the word survival because we survive despite some efforts to get rid of us. And I, uh, but you know, what day are we going to celebrate where we can all come together as a nation? Because the reality is, uh, there were 20, nearly 26 million other people in Australia, other Australians, and there's about 600,000 Aboriginals. So the 26, nearly 26 million people aren't going to go home. Uh, we are building, I, I believe we're building a very strong and a, a great nation. In fact, Australia punches above its weight on the global stage and, and we've got a tremendous amount of freedoms. Like when I was born and for the first 13 years of my life, they had laws uh, that were uh, uh, against Aboriginal people. Those laws haven't existed now for nearly 50 years. Uh, in fact, you know, we've got people who are doctors and lawyers and engineers and, and, and people in parliaments all over Australia. And that, so there's, there's uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to celebrate. That's not the same thing as perfect. We've still got, a, you know, a long way to go, but it, it is uh, something we can celebrate. Look at, look at the people who have been elected in parliament. Look, uh, uh, you know, the people who are attorney generals. Um, moving on to kind of climate, I, I know you said in the 2000s, I'm not sure if this still applies now, you have supported the idea of creating uranium nuclear power plants in response to climate change. Can you explain your philosophy about this? I'm not sure if this is still relevant to you. I mean, it is pretty much relevant because I, I grew up in a period of uh, very anti-nuclear, anti very anti uh, 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 uranium mining. In fact, right, that was my position right up until about 2000. Uh, what changed my attitude was the uh, uh, 
and it takes a long time to build while renewable energy it's pretty cheap it's pretty safe and it's pretty easy to establish Uh, 
Now, in regard to the other issues about building it, that, there are there are some you know, power stations that will take time to build and stuff like that. So I'm not going to argue about that. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's it's. I do argue against the economic issue because you know I remember in the in the in the nineties I used to get a, a brick which was a, a mobile phone at several thousand dollars. Because of the market demand, it's, it's now cheaper, and, and motor cars were the same, and everything else was the same. But also, people have missed that about the technical uh, technology advances of nuclear. You, you can virtually net you have, have smaller uh, operating uh, nuclear power stations, and uh, you have also, um, you, you know, you can on the coastal. in working with Scott Morrison? Oh, Scott's got... <laughs> it's an interesting. I've worked with uh, five... Six, six prime ministers for my sins, uh, Labor and, uh, and Coalition. And, uh, and uh, look, I, I, uh, I like him. I personally do like him, but liking a person personally doesn't necessarily agree with their politics. But I, do, I, I do like the way... Uh, Scott Morrison has handled the pandemic. Uh, it, there's a couple of things I don't agree with, but I tell you what, he's done. A, he and the government have done a fantastic job in that, uh, and also kept, kept the economy going. Because you know, you look at places overseas, other things. Now, Australia economy could easily have collapsed with the, with the pandemic, but didn't. Uh, yes, there is a big debt with no deal, but, we, but you know they've got a ten-year plan to do that. I like the way they're operating. Businesses are out there now working. Unemployment's going down. Uh, you're, you're getting uh, that's universities and, and health systems are still working. Look, I think he's doing a great job, uh, and, I, and, I, and I congratulate him on it for what he's done. The same as I congratulate uh, you know a few of the premiers in what they have achieved and done. Bit. The same as I am uh, negative against some other premiers. And the election is coming up next year, between August this year and May next year. Do you believe that Scott Morrison will delay the election in order to gain public trust due to 
public dissatisfaction in the way he dealt with sexual assault in Parliament and vaccine rollout? Well, I think um, that the the, uh, the, um, uh, vaccine rollout could have been done a lot better. I would have, you know, was supporting the way that was done. I don't think that would be a factor by the time we get to the election, where I think the election will be sooner later, I was only talking to some people today uh, who are a lot more smarter about, you know, polling and election calling than, than what I am, but and they, they feel that it is going to be an early election, you only have to look at the behaviour of the Prime Minister and the Cabinet, they're flying all over the country, going to all the different electorates, talking to people, you know, uh, in the last week they went to 26 electorates, and, and to me that sends a sign that there's could be an uh, early election. Uh, people are more confident they're going to be an early election, and uh, and look, I think uh, I think they'll I think the government will be returned because of those two things of the pandemic and because of the way they handled that, and also the way they kept the economy ticking over during that uh, pandemic. Mm. And do you believe there needs to be more minority representation in Parliament? Oh, look, I, I've always been a great supporter of getting Indigenous people in the Parliament. I'm also a great supporter of diversity of people in, in the Parliament. There are great opportunities for that. And, and I'm very pleased to see, you know, it's taken quite a while to get here, but I'm very pleased to see, you know, like we had Senator Neville Bonner in the 70s, but it wasn't until Aidan Ridgway come along in the late 90s before we got in. Our next Indigenous person in the parliament. We've now got about five in the parliament, you know, and we'd like to see more. And, and you're seeing people across Australia, in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland. Uh, you know, in Queensland there's, there's Aboriginal, you know, Torres Islander ministers in the Northern Territory. You know, you, you see uh, you know, the Attorney General and other Aboriginal people sitting in that in that cabinet. And, Western Australia, of course, you had Ben White, who was the treasurer up until the last election. So, and, and there's still a number of Aboriginal people sitting in those parliaments. So, I, th- I think we could do better, and we need to do better, and we need to uh, and get people uh, across the political spectrum, even though I'm a, a Liberal and a coalition supporter, I think it would be great, you know, to get more people within the local party, within uh, the uh, National Party and other parties. There are so, look, I, I see amazing young Indigenous people who are you know, lawyers and doctors and doing a whole wide range of different things and business people and incredible artistic committed people to their communities. And they're the type of people, don't matter whether you're black, white or people, they're the type of people who want to have in Um So you've previously voiced your disdain regarding gender-neutral bathrooms, referring to them as silly nonsense on the Bolt Report. Um, can you explain this to me? Oh, well, look, it's a, <laughs> I went to, uh, I, uh, my wife did a stint at the University of New England during the 80s and 90s, and, uh, and they had gender, gender they had free, they, they called it unisex in those days, they had a unisex uh, 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 after showers, and then you had a male and female, and people could make their own choice about where they, uh, where they wanted to go. In, in that space, and people made choices because 
for women that they made a false safe heart being in, in a female only boiler and then other people could have been to the unisex and other people could have been everywhere. I think we're blown out of proportion now uh, and it's become a political issue. To me, it's not a political issue. It's just that it's just about people having common sense, you know, and, and, and if, 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 if having toilet, which is a natural thing for all of us, all of us are going to go to the toilet, uh, having that space where people can go and, and feel safe. That's, mm. that's all I care about, really. I think it's just uh, all this other stuff is just going to be stupid. I think, you know, like I have the toilet in my place, and male, female, and everyone uses that toilet. So, so the real issue is down to how people feel safe and feel comfortable. And that's, that's all that needs to be said. So you think there should be maybe a male, a female, and a gender-neutral bathroom? Well, that's what they did in the 80s and 90s, and that people can judge whether that was successful. So I didn't bother me. I didn't care. And I think most people aren't bothered by it, and they don't care about it. Of course, folks are different, you know, we... Uh, unisex toilets in, uh, in, you know, I was at Adelaide, South Australian Institute of Technology, did and so the University of Adelaide. That, so people, you know, we didn't bother, we didn't worry about it, didn't concern us. But I can understand where some people, you know, they, you know, you know because of, you know, like Muslims or, or you know, some Christians and stuff like that may have a, you know, they prefer to be, you know, all female or an all male place. I understand that and I respect that because that's, you know, we're a free society, we're a liberal society and we respect people's views. At the same time, you know, people uh, want, to, uh, want to go and, you know, that, uh, mix and mingle, well, that's fine. So I just think it's, it's, I find it a bit of a joke that people have become so angry and so, you know, polarised by the to me, it's just nonsense, you know. Let's just there's bigger things in life that we need to worry about. And where do you see your future road in politics? Uh, I don't look. I, I'm I, I, what I, I do now is more about uh, trying to influence legislation and policies, uh, and 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 become a bit of a commentator on that in regard to that area. And uh, and I uh, and I'm enjoying my time being. Final question, if you could send a message to the young people of Australia, what would you say? that we have is by meeting other people. You know, the great joy I have 
learned so much from that experience of meeting those people and, 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 and learning about them and loving it and looking at looking at, at their culture and stuff and that. At the same time, having an opportunity to talk about my own culture and talk about my own uh, people and that. And it's a great experience to do that. So the more we can do that, the better the world's going to be as a place. Just at the moment, we've got some really issues which are, are surprising for me because we've got a great society, we've got, uh, we've got great things that can, can be done and uh, and there's a whole world of opportunities to do that and, and you're living in a very exciting time, you know, it's a really exciting time and uh, about how society and technology is driving us forward and, we, and, and with science and the health, the health systems are, are, are just hundred times better than what it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, people were dying uh, from simple things and, and polio and stuff like that. And, and I had kids in my own classroom who had uh, calipers on and that, that were, you, know, you don't see any of that anymore. And so, um, you know, you know so, uh, as I said, mindful about the pandemic we're going through. You know, and look how many people have died in that. And how many people uh, have been cured? How many people are living for You know, it's like more people have died from flu uh, than through the, uh, from COVID, and yet, uh, and, and that's because of the science and, uh, and, and the uh, and the technology we have to deal with these things. Mm, definitely. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, as quite a left-leaning person myself, I think the only way we can really solve world issues such as climate change uh if the left and right come together and have conversations like this and really actually work together and use collective power yeah because yeah and you're right you're 100 right i just i get frustrated sometimes that you don't have this conversation and it is and also you come to the table like i did on some things and i and you and you look at it and you look at the science and you, and you read and you talk to people and you have debates and discussions and, and you can change views. Uh, you know, my view changed. Uh, my view changed in a very short time uh, on, on a number of issues. And so I think through that process of, of, of looking at the science or looking at um, the technology and looking at the society that we, that we live in and having those open debates, I think is only healthy. It is quite healthy for a society to do that because if we, if we just keep, if we just polarise ourselves, you know, all you're doing is talking to your own people and you're not listening to the other side and, uh, and you're not learning because, you know, I've had situations where I thought I was right and, and someone said, well, did you think about A? And I went, hmm, no, I didn't think about A. And then, it ha- then I had to rejig myself. I had to think, okay, put that in the, in the equation and then work through it. And I think through that, you get good outcomes, you get good policy outcomes, you get good action. And that's the most important part, is getting action to deal with these things. Mm, definitely. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. And thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I, I've enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, and I hope this becomes part of, of other conversations where people can deal with some of these issues. Definitely. Thanks so much. See ya. Thank you.
what an episode. Look, I had a fun time. I I had a great time. I learned a lot. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, concerns, like advice or anything, or just like comments, I actually like, I actually got an email recently from a listener. I don't know if they're listening now about my Tim Wilson episode. And that was really like great to hear. I love constructive criticism. So please enlighten me with your constructive criticism at um, beyond the echo chamber at gmail.com. Please email me. Let me know if you've got any guests that you think would be good or even yourself. Let me know. Thanks so much.